and turn on my microphone. Thank you, Paul. And hello, everyone. It's great to be here with you in person. And let's see. Yes, it's that camera. And for those of you online, together we are Greenbelt Church. It's the people, not the building, isn't it? We're starting a new sermon series, and it's going to run through uh, August. Made for Mondays is what you and I are doing here right now. Is that going to have any impact tomorrow, Monday morning, on the way that I relate to people? Today we're going to start uh, this series by looking at life with my coworkers. Life with my coworkers. Now, some of you know that I'm retired. Yes, I'm retired. No, we're not done here. We're going to start looking at life with James and John's coworkers. James and John, two of the 12 disciples who are most closely associated with Jesus during his three years of, roughly three years of ministry while he was walking here on the planet as a man. And we're going to work with that title a little bit too. Um, We're going to look at other scenarios where we relate to to each other as equals, uh, fellow students, neighbors, brothers and sisters, siblings, friends, and so on. We're going to check out life with James and John's uh, co-workers, as I said, and we'll do that. We'll just take a snapshot of their life with those two guys uh, based on uh, what we find in uh, the good news according to Mark, chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. But before we dive in there, a little uh, context review. At the time of Jesus' ministry in Palestine, Israel, there was a persistent Jewish expectation that there would be a deliverer. This was based on a prophecy, actually, almost exactly 500 years previously, which we can find in the book of Daniel in chapter 9, verses 24 to 26. And Daniel records that God told him that he would send a deliverer to Israel, an anointed one, a Messiah, a Christ. Those are all the same uh, person. They're just three words coming out of three different languages. The popular uh, presumption during Jesus' time was that given the preponderance of the Roman rule over Israel, that if this Messiah was to come along any time in their time, He would kick the Romans out. He would defeat the Roman legions. Now, that's like defeating nuclear weapons in our day. And then he would use his supernatural power to make Israel into a world power. A little bio about two of our main characters here. James and John were brothers, fishermen, 
In fact, that was the family business on the Sea of Galilee. James and John, together with Peter, the three of them formed a sort of an unofficial inner circle within the 12 disciples. They had seen more miracles than the other nine guys had. For example, just in the preceding chapter, in chapter 9 of uh, Mark, verses 2 to 9, he records what we have labeled the transfiguration. The four of them go up on top of a mountain. Jesus' clothes turn a dazzling white. Elijah, a prophet from centuries previously in Israel, and Moses, the national leader from even further back in history, both appear standing with Jesus. A voice comes out of the cloud and says, this is my, well, let me get this right here. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Pretty heady stuff. So picking up the narrative in the good news according to Mark, in chapter 10, verse 35. And we're going to get a little assistance here from my, uh, my buddy, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, him being Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, how's that for an open-ended request? Doesn't that cover the basis? What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. In other words, we want to be number two and number three in whatever kingdom you're going to set up after you kick out the Romans. And I guess we'll arm wrestle between the two of us for which is which. Verse 38, you don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Don't you just love confidence? Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know, that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mm -hmm. 
not so with you. Jesus just flipped the disciples' world upside down. Power and prestige are out. Serving others is in. And James and John are looking for a hole to crawl into. You know, I can picture Jesus having each disciple write our big idea today with a hammer and chisel in the cornerstone of the temple in Jerusalem in the foundation. Serving is greater than being served. Serving is greater than being served. And I can picture him telling James and John, and you two guys, you can go do it three more times around the other three sides of the building. Serving is greater than being served. Maybe we should do that here at Greenbelt. Uh, you didn't hear it from me if you're talking to the property manager. We've just had a snapshot, just a snapshot of what life is like with James and John's co-workers or their fellow students, if you prefer. You notice that they called him teacher in verse 35. The disciples, not only were they assisting Jesus with his ministry, but they were learning. I would love to say they were learning constantly, but no, they were learning erratically if, as you read the scriptures, just like a lot of us do. came across a comment when I was prepping this from a gent called Rolf Jacobson. And he says this, James and John get that Jesus is the real deal. They figured out he's the Messiah a couple chapters ago in, in Mark. But they do not understand the nature of the deal. Now, Jesus just dumped a big lump of understanding on them here in what we just read. So what deal were they thinking of? before Jesus started to turn the relational world upside down? They were hoping to be like the rulers and the high officials of the Gentiles, to be the big shots, everybody serving them, in what we could call the worldly greatness operating system. And what about you and me? How's life with your coworkers? or your fellow students, or my neighbors, perhaps. Back in the summer of 2020, you remember that? The great, uh, the great plague, pandemic? Oh, yeah. Another thing that was going on was we had a dry spell in that summer. And my grass in my front yard in particular turned a lovely brown. Eventually, when the rains came back later in the summer and in the early fall, a lot of it greened up, but there was about a quarter of my yard that just stayed brown. Learning moment here. Come to find out that it had been attacked by chinch bug or cinch bug, however you pronounce that properly. These little critters, they bite into each blade of grass, and they suck the juice out, and they also inject a natural herbicide into it at the same time. It's a double whammy, and your grass is dead, dead, dead. Follow-on problem is my yard is a clay base, and once the grass is dead, 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 it becomes mud, 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 which tracks everywhere. So I decided I have to do something in the fall. 
So fast forward to the spring of 2021, and I get in two yards of top dressing. Another learning moment. Top dressing and topsoil are not the same thing. Top dressing is that black organic stuff. Anyway, slave labor, I do the, you know, reseed it and spread the stuff around and so on and so on. My wife's the gardener, by the way. I just do this stuff when I have to. I even buy a fancy sprinkler that'll do these different patterns so I'm not wasting water where I don't need it. And I still have a 50% higher water bill in May and June that year. Anyway, by the autumn, I've got a you know, respectable lawn again. Now, the reason I'm telling you this story is I want to talk about motivation. Avoiding the mud, I mean, that's, that's good. That's fine. To the extent that the appearance of my yard is a little more uh, reasonable and I, and I contribute to the attractiveness of the neighborhood, I'm serving my neighbors. And that's a good thing. On the other hand, to the extent that I'm just trying to avoid embarrassment beside my neighbor's lawns, I'm serving myself. Maybe not so good. A mixed, a mixed motives. And there's a competitive comparison aspect in there, too. And you know and I know how that works. Who's got the greenest grass or the least dandelions or the biggest house, uh, the most prestigious job, the highest tax bracket? Isn't it interesting the things that we can brag about? The most exotic travel plans, the most well-adjusted children, the coolest parents, if it's still cool to say that, and so on and so on. The most active uh, itinerary at church the newest techie toys, the most friends, and so on. We're wonderfully creative at creating comparisons. You know, there's nothing wrong with seeking adequate housing. Whatever climate model you or I sign up for, this is Ottawa, and January will be January. And there's nothing wrong with working and working well at our career or our job. Or paying our taxes. God encourages all those things in here and more. But when the value or the enjoyment or the satisfaction from those responsibilities, duties, privileges, possessions, when the value to me depends on some sort of comparison mechanism, with what somebody else is doing or has or somebody else isn't doing or doesn't have, then I've defaulted into that worldly greatness operating system again. And in fact, my whole way of relating at that point to others is defective. Back in June, a year ago, in 2022, I changed my exercise program, and I, was, I, I put a new slant on it, trying to improve my posture. Now, several months later, I'm driving down the 174, and I decide I'm going to make a lane change. After I made the lane change, I realized that I had uh, actually done a better shoulder check than I had done in years. I thought, ooh, bonus. Now I'm a safer driver. 
That wasn't even in the program. And that's a good thing. Now, it's not so good if I use the increased range of motion to do comparisons with what other people do are doing or don't doing and so on and so on. If I'm somehow looking out for number one. But why would you or I want to stop looking out for number one? And looking out for the, uh, the family and friends whose um, well-being our own happiness depends upon. Did you ever notice that self is a demanding idol to serve? And you or I may get tired of chasing greatness. Tired, tired of trying to get ahead of others in some fashion so they will serve us. Or perhaps uh, you may not be interested in greatness at all. You might not be interested in impressing other people. You might not be interested in other people, period. Either way, whether we want to be served more or we're socially unplugged, you and I fall far, far short of God's design for relationships. The God of the universe is also the God of relationships. The Father and the Son and the Spirit coexist together from eternity past to eternity future. If one can use the words past and future in the same sentence as eternity. That's the model for life. And what's the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And Jesus added, and all your mind. And now an audience participation moment. What's the second greatest commandment? Together now. Love your neighbor as yourself. Thank you. And in fact, that's recorded in the, the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verse 39. In the very next verse, in verse 40, Matthew writes, quotes Jesus. Jesus said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law and the prophets was a way of referring to the entire Jewish Bible, what we now call the Old Testament. All 39 books. So what Jesus is really saying is that all the Jewish Bible, all the Old Testament is really about relationships. Those two commandments are about relationships with God and with each other. Don't you just love the way Jesus simplifies things? 
He is the ultimate teacher. And a whole lot more. So do you ever wonder why we have the New Testament? This last roughly quarter of our Bible. It's because even after Jesus makes all this crystal clear and crystal simple, I can't keep those two simple commandments. Can't do it. What percentage of the time is God number one in my life before I was his child? And even now. And what percentage of the time do I uh, treat other people as I like to uh, treat myself before I was his child? And even now. Not, again, not just those people who are close to me whose well-being my own happiness depends upon. As Paul says in the letter that he writes to the church in Rome, in chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God is relationships like this. We are born relationally defective. Now, don't take my word for it. You can ask any mother here. Right from the get-go, the hungry infant is screaming, serve me. In every baby dialect known to, I was man, to woman, and a whole bunch of other dialects probably as well. All the way through to the 80-year-old who's never upgraded their relational software. And that's our individual sin. That's what a relational God cannot ignore. That's what a just God must punish. And that's the bad news. The good news That's why we got this, the New Testament. A merciful Jesus steps in and says, I'll go and die on the cross, and I'm going to do it voluntarily to be a sacrifice to offer to pay for your sin, all of your sins, all your relational sins against God and against each other. And then he says, I'm going to send my spirit to live in you to help to change your relations from the inside out. You know, each one of us at any time in our life can press the relation restart icon by just talking to God, a simple conversation, something like this. Father God, I've wronged you and lots of other people. 
Please forgive me for being so self-serving. I want to start over. Jesus, thank you for paying for my defective relationships. Please send your spirit to live in me, to change the way I relate to you and the way I relate to other people. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you've just had a uh, similar conversation with God, you could tell me or tell a friend. If you're online, you can, in the chat, you can click on the I commit my life to Jesus box or raise the, uh, raise the hand icon. We would love to celebrate this life restart with you. James and John are models of growing relationships with God and with others. You remember their initial cheekiness, wanting to be the big shots, wanting everybody else to serve them. Well, James ended up serving others, just like Jesus said, serving, serving is greater than being served. James served others so well that in Acts chapter 12, verse 2, it's recorded that King Herod Agrippa had him killed by the sword. Tradition tells us that was about 44 AD, roughly 10 years after the uh, incident that we were just looking at. He was the first of the 12 disciples to be martyred. Judas doesn't count because he, his was suicide and he was replaced by another man. His brother John is credited with writing five of the 27 books in the Good News. And according to tradition, John suffered a lengthy exile in the slave labor mines on the island of Patmos. Later on, he uh, lived in Ephesus in modern Turkey. And he died sometime after 98 A.D., according to tradition. That's 54 years after his brother James was killed by the sword, beheaded. And John was the last of the 12 and the only one to die peacefully. Now, the same spirit that was living in James and John during that dramatic transformations in their lives is living in you and living in me today if at some point along the way we have chosen to follow Jesus as God's child. That same spirit will not only, is not only living in us today, he will be living in us tomorrow, Monday morning. Yes, he will. He's made for Mondays. God's Spirit even works on holiday Mondays, no matter what time I get out of bed. And he will help us to be transformed, to be less self-serving, and more others-serving as we follow Jesus.
Now we'll wrap it up. Tomorrow morning, well, I wake up saying, good Lord, it's morning. Or will I say, good morning, Lord. Next week, we're going to look at life with my boss and with the other authority figures uh, that we find in our lives. As the worship team gathers, let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the God of restarted relationships. We thank you that we can be your children. We thank you that we can be brothers and sisters doing life together with you. And we thank you, God, that your family really is made for Mondays. It's made for life. In Jesus' name, amen.